Hey everybody, it's Big Daddy. Well, you know, I always promise everybody that watches and listens to uh, my show that I'm going to bring people that really have played the game, have been in the game, understand the game, know how to teach the game, and know everything that from A to Z about the game that they happen to have played and done it at a high level. So our next guest has done it at a very high level, has two Super Bowl rings, and is still doing it. So everyone, let's welcome my man, Charlie Batch. How you doing, Charlie? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Everything's good, man. You know, just uh, living the dream, you know, doing my thing and uh, trying to stay cool while it's hot out there. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that completely. You know, so. Uh, but of course, you know, when you get to this point, though, that's when the weather starts to change. Change That means weather. That means training camp is about to start up. Yeah. You know what? I, I always laugh because obviously I have a history of, you know, being in Pittsburgh. I can never, ever forget going to training camp and watching practices and all I could smell was that beer being brewed <laughs> right, right next door. And I'm going, oh, my God, how do these guys do this? I would never, ever. Anyway, uh, I'm sure it made for a very thirsty, uh, uh, a very thirsty mood and feelings while you're out there sweating. Absolutely, it does. And, and trust me, a lot of guys, you, know, you get tired of that cafeteria food because the Steelers are kind of one of the only few that still go away to training camp. Yeah. And when they're up at St. Vincent's in Latrobe, man, it, guys look forward to it because when they get a chance to kind of break away, kind of debrief a little bit. Trust me, they they uh, soak down a couple of those beers as well. So they, they enjoy it thoroughly. <laughs> yeah, I had the experience of eating at a couple of uh, having both the cafeteria part and also the uh, – the local establishments in town, and and I and I always remember uh, Neil O'Donnell. You know, we lived together for all those years, and uh, he would always take a doggy bag back from Pittsburgh. You know, just to make sure he had something to snack on to uh, change the uh, the menu around. Absolutely, but, uh, I think when you have a lot of, uh, especially they've been going up there for over fifty years, so there's a lot of stories that the locals have up there, and it was always fun because you hear the, the stories from the older vets. You know, they'll tell you the stories about them sneaking out and of the dorms and going in there, having a little bit of fun after hours. But now the way that social media is, you can't do that anymore. So no. the minute you walk into a place, the whole everybody knows exactly where you're at. So guys just have to be a little bit more careful on that. And especially there, man, you know, Pittsburgh's like a college town, man. The <laughs> Steelers are like it. I mean, I never forget. I was I lived there in 1991. And when I got there, I was like, wow, this is like. It ain't the Jets, you know. <laughs> I grew up in Long Island, so I'm like, boy, this is two different extremities, and uh, and just to see how the fans were, not only for football but hockey, baseball. I mean, Pittsburgh people. I I really do believe that's that is probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, cities for sports. It is, and, and I, of course, I'm a little biased because I grew up here in Pittsburgh. But when you have all three. Uh, all three sports wearing the same uniform, you know, that kind of, it brings a city together and it's one big little city. We always call it. Everybody kind of knows what everybody is doing, but like you mentioned, man, they're diehard Steeler fans and they have the largest female population of NFL fans. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. You know, I had the great luxury of being there in the nineties when Mario Lemieux and them were winning Stanley cups. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the Steelers obviously going to Super Bowls and, 
and uh, and whatnot. So it's really uh, it was a really great hands-on experience to be a fan and watch and not only watch the teams but the fans. I mean, just how the you know I was blown away. You know, one day I'm walking and all of a sudden I look at a mural and there's Mario Lemieux on the building and you know. I'm like, what? I'm like, wow, this is like, I, I thought I was back in college. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they're they're diehard fans around here. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. You know, one thing about Pittsburgh, though, it's not, you know, it's not a city on the map that you throw a dart to and say, I'm going to spend my vacation time in Pittsburgh. But a family, sports, business, something brings you to Pittsburgh. People are completely blown away on how beautiful this city is. And you get, they have a really good experience when they walk away from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of my favorite places. And I happened to, I got back there about uh, three years ago when the uh, Penguins had just won the Stanley cup and they had uh, the, the Stanley cup at uh, Bill Guerin's house. who used to be the GM VP uh, assistant GM there. Who's now in Minnesota. And we were up in North Hills and like, when Neil and I lived there, we were like North Allegheny High School was like the the, the line, and, and after that it was just nothing. <laughs> All of a sudden, I go back and I'm like, where? What the? I mean, it was like a whole new, <laughs> a new city, you know. It, it look, it's night and day, and I've been in the North North Allegheny School District now for 19 years, so it, it really has transformed from the, just the time that I've been here. So I know you were completely shocked because every day. Or every month you see something different that's happening up here. So it's pretty cool to see. Obviously, the city is growing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's incredible. And, you know, the Penguins used to be down in South Hills. Now they're all the way up <laughs> North Hills. And and I'm like, oh, man. It, it was just, and my favorite, Permani Brothers, was there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have one of those, man. I had, I had one in a long time. So I was like, wow, now really North Hills is really the spot because it was just uh, – it was night, night and day. So, for the fans uh, that are watching and listening, let's. Uh, what are you up to? What do you got going on? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I have like an idea, but I want to. I want it to come from you. Let's share uh, what you got going on. And well, now that we're sitting here, in, you know, in training camp mode, I actually do. Uh, I'm, I'm part of the Steelers broadcast team, so I do pregame TV, color commentating for the preseason games. Pre-game shows, post-game radio, those type of things. So, of course, now that we're in training camp, that, uh, you know, my schedule is a little bit busy from that perspective. Outside of that, I have my own foundation, which is called the Best of the Batch Foundation. And we've been in existence now for 19, for 21 years, actually. Um, And literally, we service 3,800 kids annually throughout the Pittsburgh area. So, it's pretty cool to be able to see that. We run about 13 different programs. We have a lot of great partners, volunteers, and everybody else that believes in what we're doing over the last 21 years. So we truly appreciate that. Um, you know, in addition to that, just was uh, named to an advisory board, uh, Hemp Synergistics, um, you know, so just trying to take that medical uh, proponent because players are actually going through a lot of things. I mean, personally, you know, whether that's sleep, pain, anxiety, inflammation, all of those things that I'm now incorporated into my regimen in that medical cannabis space. So big supporter of that is to really transform my life as well. Yeah, there's. Uh, I, I have one of my uh, one of my dear friends who's in that space right now, pretty heavy, and uh, he's actually in the process of bringing it to the leagues. Mm. Oh, so it's a it's a real big thing, and there's a lot of guys I know that are hurting. They can barely walk. You know, they're swollen. They they've had issues up and down, and and I think 
they get left behind. You know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And and you know what? These people are human beings and they're living and something should be done, you know? I absolutely agree. And I mean, and I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't take the banging over my 15 years like most people have, you know, but when you just talk about the chronic pain and those type of things, one of the biggest deals for me was, you know, I was taking the lead, too many leaves and too many Tylenols and Advil's. I, re- I essentially was abusing those things. And my wife got nervous. He said, we need to change. You need to do something different because at the pace that I was going at, she's like, you're not going to have a liver or a kidney in 10 years. So I knew at that point I had to change and look for alternative methods. And I know it has a negative stigma to it. But when you talk about a drug versus a plant, that's that's a starting point to say, okay, now how can you know learn a little bit more about what the plant is doing, learning about the cannabinoid system and those type of things and how it can affect your body. Everybody's body is different. But all I could do is speak from experience. Listen, everything has a stigma. I have a stigma. Oh, that's Big Daddy, the insurance guy. No one wants to buy insurance. And I'm like, look. What you see is what you get. That's right. what I've been doing for 30 years. And, uh, you know, I um, unfortunately, um, a lot of people don't know this. Before I got in the insurance business, I actually worked for, uh, you know, he just passed away recently, bless his soul, Tom Rich, hmm. the big hockey baseball agent. And I worked for Ralph Sinridge. I was working at both hmm. sides of the fence right. uh, before. And that, and that was a great business to be in. But then, obviously, you learn, like everybody – if you don't recruit anybody, you don't sign anybody, you don't make any money. Absolutely. So I was like, all right, let me get set to something else. And insurance is what led me down the pipeline that I'm in now. And just like you're getting busy with uh, training camps myself, you know, you know this, um, the guys in their last years of their contracts are trying to protect their future. So my phone is uh, off the hook with disability quotes and, you know, policies being bought by players to, uh, you know, protect their future. But, uh, yeah, the cannabis space is, uh, it's very interesting. And, uh, listen, if it helps people, I'm all for it. And if it's not killing anybody or, you know, obviously you can abuse things no matter what it is, you can abuse sugar and be dead from diabetes. But, um, if you monitor it and if it's done the right way and it's helpful, I don't see why not, you know? And and, and I think a lot of people are like that too. And I think it's just a matter of educating people. And when you talk about, and and people are hearing CBD space, they're hearing that term in that space all the time. Now, understanding, you know, when you're taking the CBD is minus this THC molecule. So you're not getting high versus, you know, know, using THC. So I think those are things that just kind of, people just need to understand. But when you take it and you see the impact of how it affects your body, it would change your mindset. And, and it ultimately did. And I wasn't a person who took it when I was playing because I was always afraid, you know, because I didn't understand it. I don't yeah. want to be that guy suspended for four games. But you start to see the league now. You start to see the Players Association, you know, loosening restrictions off of that, that now they're saying, OK, some of these things are legal, especially when you start to see more and more states legalize this. So I see you got your batch jersey behind you and uh, the pride uh proudly hanging there on the wall so i'm going to show you i got a steeler jersey too so uh let's see okay i knew o'donnell back there okay <laughs> you know, we gotta have your roommate up you know it's uh, <laughs> not always uh, never forget where you came from that's always been my motto and uh you know i'm indebted to him because obviously uh he uh introduced me to pittsburgh because he was uh drafted there and and i have still some wonderful friends that live back there and you know, it's funny, Mike Tomlin, I know Mike from when he was at uh, William & Mary. His brother, Ed, played with me at Maryland. 
Wow. So we go way back. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I'll tell you, the, one of the most embarrassing moments that ever happened was you, uh, you guys, the Steelers, were playing the Giants. And uh, I don't remember what year it was, but Pittsburgh came back last minute, won the game, and it was like a huge win. And uh, all of a sudden, in the old Giants stadium, I don't know if you remember, where you both teams walked in in and out of the locker room in one entrance. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm standing inside the tunnel, and here comes Mike Tomlin. Big Daddy, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I I felt like this big, because over here was John Mara and, like, (laughs) all these giant people, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get hung. See, those are the the inside stories that people don't hear, you know, when you get, you know, and and they peel back the layers and they get a chance to see the human side of a player. So those are Mike Tomlin is as genuine as as it gets. And just to hear that kind of story is, is really cool. And yeah. even when you mentioned Nero O'Donnell, you know, I was in high school at the time that he was coming here. So I, I saw him and was a fan of Neil, just like I was with Bill Cower during his early uh, stages. And I was still in college. So I was able to follow him. So, of course, a lot of people, was, you know, was upset around here after that Super Bowl against mm-hmm. the Cowboys that he left and went to the Jets because we thought we had a quarterback in the future that would help us get us to over that hump. And unfortunately, he left and, you know, his career took off elsewhere. But I'm a big fan of Neil O'Donnell and proud to say, you know, a Steelers alumni with him. Yeah, yeah. Neil's a, a stand-up guy, a straight shooter, always been, and uh, and you know that was uh, that was a tough loss, and uh, and I remember for me, it was very difficult because, you know, I'm there supporting him, but I also have guys on the other side of the fence that happen to be half that offensive line, that mammoth line from back then, <laughs> and uh, and Daryl Johnson, who I'm still active. Uh, I, have to, I speak to him, you know, pretty much all the time. He's at Fox, and, you know, we run into each other and whatnot, and a great guy. So that was a very, very difficult game for me, obviously, at the end because, you know, you don't know what to say. You know, it's like, wow, man, my boy just lost and and whatnot. But, hey, listen, we all know that someone has to win, someone has to lose. There's never a tie, and, uh, you know, that's unfortunately how the – how the ball rolls. And I think when you look at that situation, you know, yeah, you, you lost the Super Bowl, but then we, you know, I was fortunate enough to be on two Super Bowl t- winning teams. But then when we went to that third, and that was Super Bowl 40, Super Bowl 43. But then when we went to Super Bowl 45, the majority of the team was the, sta- was the same. So when we walked off that field after losing to the Packers, nobody really knew how, what to expect and what to do because yeah. we, were, we were winners prior to. So when you're seeing that confetti fall down and then you walk to the locker room, which is like the longest walk in the world, and you get there, you're already upset, or you take your equipment off, and then all of a sudden the confetti is starting to kind of uh, come through your shoulder pads and jersey. You're like, now you get upset even more because you're like, okay, I don't want any of this on confetti. So it's, it's always a bitter taste, and that kind of, you know, it left me with a bitter taste in my mouth, even though I didn't start in that particular game. But Ben Roethlisberger, that's something that fuels him because now when you look at that, was that was 2011, February 2011, and he has yet to be to go back, and that's something that always fuels that fire for players, especially when you know you're coming towards the end of your career. My business partner, Chris Muro, is such a Steeler fan that he has season tickets. Mm-hmm. And he lives in uh, Boca Raton. He's flown. He's driven. He's done. He's even taken his dogs to Pittsburgh just to go see a Steeler game. <laughs> and uh, you'll connect with him. And uh, he is he is black and gold. Uh Thick and thin. 
You see it. You see it a lot. I, I meet a lot of cool people that, you know, from out of town that come in just for games and those type of things. And the part that, you know, you get upset with, you know, for fans at some point, because, you know, when, he, when the NFL changes the time of a game later on in the season, you have to make that commitment September, October. And then all of a sudden they change the game. You see fans that actually have to change their whole plans. And I say that because it was a couple of years ago, had really good friends that were coming out from California to get ready for the Chargers game. And it was supposed to be a one o'clock start. And then the league switched it to an 8.30 primetime Sunday night game. So it changed everything because they were coming in and then they were flying out immediately after the game and yep. it just disrupted travel. So that's some of the things that happens whenever the league does that. But, you know, at least they got a chance to see it on TV. I think that's what happened to Chris one time. They were flying in on Saturday, mm-hmm. going to the game, and then flying out Sunday night. They couldn't get out. They couldn't get their hotel room. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of that. And, right. You know, and I think uh, he ended up uh, giving his tickets away, actually, to somebody because uh, they just couldn't make it. There was no way to – even to drive would have been, like, killing you. They would have killed himself. <laughs> and I'm not shocked he didn't drive because that's how, you know, big of a deal it is for him. And uh, and I think that happened with the Buffalo Bills game, I think, two years ago, mm-hmm. where it got, it got uh, flexed. And I was actually going to come in, but then I couldn't get a room. And uh, and and my brother's on the Buffalo Bills staff, so uh, I would have been able to kill two birds, you know, seeing right. him and, and seeing Mike and uh, seeing Danny Smith, who I love to death. <laughs> Danny is like Danny is great. Danny is great for sure. He is my hungry. days go back to him when he was in Detroit. He was the tight ends coach in Detroit when I was there. Before I think he left to go to Washington, um, but people forget that that he was actually a position coach versus just a special teams coach. That, I, wow, I didn't even know that. I've just known Danny, you know, from our uh, – we always get together at the Combine, uh, obviously not last year, but all those years uh, when they would come in, he was very close with uh, George Bolanis, who you know, from Nike. Yep. And uh, we would all get together and always have a laugh, and uh, and he's great. So it's uh, – you know, you still uh, – you, you, you regardless if you leave a city, you still have some sort of tie. You Absolutely, know, you know, and Pittsburgh's always been dear, near and dear to my heart. And uh, I, uh, I actually, I'll let you know. I'll be back there in September. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Let me know for sure. Definitely yeah. connect when you get here. And then, are you still doing the uh, high school football and basketball games through the color analyst stuff, or no? Yeah, occasionally I will. Uh, you know, a lot of times if you're traveling schedules, um, particularly like on a Friday, it's tough to kind of get to games with the manner of Pittsburgh traffic because you have to do the pregame shows. The game starts at seven. So you have to be there kind of four thirty, five o'clock. And sometimes I'm not able to get out of the office as early as what I would like to on those days. So I can't fully commit, but once yeah. we get the playoffs, then yes, I, I get back into the, the swing of things. Now, a lot of people, I tell this story and people look at me like I have two heads. I remember uh, Neil had a car deal with a dealership and uh, you know, and I actually got to drive a car too. It was pretty cool. That's how I knew football was big time there. I'm like, I'm nobody, and here I am driving a, a, a dealer car. But they always used to say, we're never open on Fridays past 3 o'clock. And I would be like, wow, that's a hell of a deal. Why? We don't want to miss high school football. Yeah. And, and I was still, like, wow. still like that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, hmm. You know, in New York growing up, I, if I played in front of 100 people, that was a big thrill. <laughs> I go to North Allegheny versus uh, – what was uh, the – I can't remember the other – North Allegheny and the other – Central Central Catholic, North Hill, Seneca Valley. North Hill. Okay. Yep. I go watch that game, and I'm like, Neil and I couldn't even get a seat. 
were sitting <laughs> on the field because we couldn't find anywhere to stand or sit. So they were like, come sit on the field. Yeah. And I was looking around. I was like, and then I, and then we actually, we used to live close to the N.A. Then we ended up moving around the block from North Hills High School. You know, two different right. oh, yeah. fields and whatnot. That don't like each other. <laughs> do not like, yeah, exactly. It was like, I was like, man, you, you, I'm surprised they don't have police here because uh, it, it, the tension, you could just feel the tension in the air. Oh, yeah. How uh, how those two schools hated each other and how football is such a big thing. And, and you know, so many great football players come out of both high schools. I mean, it's like a factory uh, between those two schools of the uh, talent and uh, athletes that come out of there. So, uh, yeah, I had a, a great uh, – I was there for uh, four years, and it was like uh, I never forget. It's like it happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you saw Marvin Lewis, we were at the uh, owners' meetings one day, and Marvin and uh, and uh, you know George Stewart, right? Yep. We're sitting there talking, and it was it it became a point where people at the uh, both both of them thought that I was actually a player. Because I kept walking in and out of the old stadium, like, oh, that's Big Daddy, just you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I go in and out and out. And then one time, Stewie actually worked me out as a long snapper, because he was like, I don't know, you know how to do that. I was like, yeah, well, you know. But it was kind of funny. We did the whole workout and whatnot inside the old locker room. Right. <laughs> so I was like this, and it was kind of funny. And he said that. And then Marvin said one day. Where's Big Daddy? I don't see him. You know, come training camp. <laughs> and then I saw him afterwards. I'm like, hey, Marv. And then we were just going back and forth with old Pittsburgh stories that, uh, you know, you John Fox was there in the beginning. That's mm-hmm. where he started. Marvin. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you think of all these people and you say, wow, how blessed and fortunate to have relationships with these kind of people because they are historic figures in sports, especially in the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, you look at that. There's a lot of a lot of players. I mean, Tony Dungy was on the staff here. Dom right. Capers, you know, uh, you know, before Dick LeBeau went and did what he was doing. I mean, not you know, in his Hall of Fame coaching career, you know, so he was part of it. So it's just really cool to go back and see some of those coaches who were on the coaches staff that ultimately went on to become coordinators and head coaches throughout the league, and they all kind of have ties to Pittsburgh. So it's really cool, especially when I'm out and about. There's always the Pittsburgh connection of some sort that mm-hmm. you're able to chop it up with somebody. You know, it's uh, – and then you learn about being in Pittsburgh, so you start to learn the history. And then, you know, I uh, I actually worked at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Hmm. Uh, so I was working down in the south end and, you know, all those bars down there and you see softball games. And, I mean, I really got entrenched into the community. And uh, at the time, I was dating a girl who lived in Mount Lebanon. So I was really like, I was like, wow. But then I left and, you know, that was uh, a mark in my history book. But uh, it was great. So um, the clubhouse, tell us about that real quick. Yes, our, the clubhouse is, uh, we named it the clubhouse. It's our clubhouse expansion with the Best of the Batch Foundation. So we literally are busting out of the seams in our foundation headquarters space. We have roughly 5,300 square feet. Then we're busting out of the seams. And there was a vision between my wife and I just kind of connect the building next to us. And then from there, see what happens. And as we were looking to kind of build out our STEAM programs, we call it, we say STEAM versus STEM. 
and, and we and we include the arts element in it. So science, technology, engineering, arts, math. So as we are looking to build this out, it was like, how can we now figure out how we can impact more people? So we were able to acquire four parcels under our control. And then we came up with this vision. We are now adding 27,000 square feet to our existing building, which will help expand all of our programs that we have. We have 13 different programs that we run through the year. So it's pretty cool. Of course, with COVID, you know, we had to shut down for 56 days, but we're back up and running. So as we look forward to opening this fall, we're super excited about it. And when we do have our grand opening date, I'll be sure to shoot it over to you as we let everybody who's watching as well uh, the opportunity to come over, see what we're doing, see how many more kids that we can impact. So that will take our numbers from 3,800 kids to over 5,000 kids annually. So we're excited, but yet nervous at the same time as we now enter into this new chapter of the next 20 years for the Best of the Batch Foundation. And for anybody who wants to learn more about it, they yeah, actually, can go, to, yep, oh, they actually can go to batchfoundation.org. That's batchfoundation.org. Well, that's it's great. And you know what? It's it's always awesome when you can give back, especially when it's your community. And, and you know, it, it, I understand that some people do things to get a pat on the back. And I know you. I know that's not what you're doing. You're 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 a giver. You're you know, you're respected and, and, you know, you're a stealer. So it's it's in your blood, you know. No, I, and I appreciate that. And this is home. This Pittsburgh is born as home home for me. A lot of people thought I was from Michigan, which is ironic because <laughs> they didn't realize that I grew up in Pittsburgh. So I actually went to Eastern Michigan, played four years with the Lions. So nine and a half years I was in Michigan. I get to Pittsburgh and people from Michigan are calling me like, when are you coming home? And I'm like, I am home. They're like, no, home to Pit- Detroit. And I'm like, no, I, I'm from Pittsburgh. And people didn't even realize that. So, you know, just from where we practice that uh, with our practice facility in Heinz Field, I was home to mom's house in 10 minutes. So that's how close I was. So I literally was home. So the, it was good and bad. The good part was I was home with family. The bad part was everybody wanted tickets. And when yeah. you go to three Super Bowls in those 11 years that I was playing, man, I was a very tough ticket to get. Um, so I was fortunate enough to at least have my family be a part of that um, along the way. So it's pretty cool. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for nothing. I remember the Super Bowl when uh, we talked about when Neil went, you know, his family, he had nine. He was one of nine. And then, you know, obviously you only get so many. And it's like, right. He's like, man, I got to go to Mr. Rooney. I got to get more, man. He goes, I, my my sister can't bring her husband or this and that and all that. I'm like, man. Thank God I don't have to deal with that issue because you, you'd be surprised on those side conversations in that manner. You know, think about, you know, our first Super Bowl 40, which was Jerome's last game. He yeah. had to do the same thing because he was going home trying to figure out how many more tickets he can get for all of his family. I was on the flip side because all of my family was so used to being and being in Detroit. They're like, oh, we'll just drive. So you save on the cost of flying and those type right. of things. So, of course, you know, you have to get the ticket in the hotel. But that's still a price, a pricey a price point for you. So as we got to that second one, Super Bowl 43, the numbers started to kind of go down. But that first one is different because you don't know if you're ever going to get back to and You want everybody who has supported you to help that experience that as well. So that was a pretty cool moment because my mom to this day still talks about that Super Bowl in Detroit <laughs> and how special it was, not only to her personally, but to our family, but also the Pittsburgh in the city of Pittsburgh, because she was, she grew up in that in those 70s. So she knew the Super Bowl victories and those type of things. So for her to experience it, experience it as me with the, as a player, man, that was truly something I wouldn't change for the world. I remember that Super Bowl. I walked into the stadium and I'm like, I feel like I'm at Heinz Field because remember, you guys had, it was 
It had to be a 90% Steeler fan. 90%, yeah. 90% you guys, 10% Seattle. Right. Right. And uh, I'm like, man. And the towels were, <laughs> it was like. Oh, and you had, and people, even when you talk to the people in Detroit, they would say if it wasn't for the Pittsburgh fans or Pittsburgh being in it, they don't know how the business community could have could have survived because even if they weren't going to the game, people within a five-hour drive from Pittsburgh to Detroit, they were going to be part of the festivities one way or another from Thursday through Monday morning if they stayed to watch that game. So Detroit was happy that Pittsburgh, one cold-weather team, was at least in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, uh, I remember how many people drove out that I knew from Pittsburgh. They're like, man, I got tickets. I ain't got to worry about – I'm going to the game, and I'm driving home right after. I'm like, whoa. Absolutely. Like, yeah, why not? I tell you the coolest moment my mom had on Monday morning – they're driving back after the game. So it probably was Monday, late late Monday morning, early afternoon. And literally, as she's driving back to Turnpike, of course, if you have to pass Cleveland, so of course, the rude, unruly <laughs> fans are signs that you see there is now Browns fans are, you know, pissed off at the Steeler fans for driving. But there probably was about a two-mile backup on the Turnpike for people to pay the tolls. And at that point, everybody was on the side of the road with just partying. They're kind of walking down for a mile. They figure, hey, there's no, you know, so everybody's out of their car celebrating. Helicopters were flying around. My mom was like, you, you had to see that moment I can to be on that turnpike. She said that was one of the coolest things that she's ever been through. Wow, that's great. That is, uh, that's, uh, those are stories that you, uh, you take with you all the way to the end, you know, because they're, they're, they're memorable and, and they just don't happen to everybody. So it's, uh, I always remember every little thing because it's always special and, you know, I have all this little memorabilia behind me and whatnot and of so many great opportunities and more. I mean, I've been to every Super Bowl except for last year since 1998. Hmm. That's how many I've gone to. So wow. it's a lot of a lot of tread on the tires. But so uh, it, it just proves you've been slacking a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I say, you know, someone says they're, that they're tired, I always say, Tired from what? I go, you know what? It takes a lot of rest to get you tired because Absolutely. I don't get it. But anyway, now they now now based off of that though, on your Super Bowl travel, have you learned to alter the travel? Meaning, if you don't, you probably go to the game. I'm assuming, but yeah. do you leave early Monday morning, late Monday morning, or Tuesday to avoid the traffic? In Airport the, travel. No, here's ready. It's a great question. I'm going to give you my answer. When we used to have the Pro Bowl the week after the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I always caught the first flight out Monday morning from wherever the Super Bowl was. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when it changed, then the Pro Bowl went the week before. Um, most times I would leave, you know, Monday afternoon. I'd be like, what am I rushing back for? Because, you know, I'm shot, I'm dead. And, uh, you know, things changed for me in 2000, and I think it was eight or nine. I became a Super Bowl correspondent for Fox News. So I was there now, dual role, Big Daddy the insurance guy, Big Daddy the, uh, what do you call it, the interviewer, and then interviewee. So I would go out, and it's funny, the first year that I did it was the Super Bowl in Dallas. Mm. So remember that, that big snowstorm. Yeah, that's about 45. Yep, and, uh, and I came back. I, was, I, I left the Pro Bowl a day early to avoid not being able to get into Dallas. So I got into Dallas. Then over there, the snow came and everything got shut down and whatnot. But uh, so I'm running around. Everybody's like, 
Big Daddy, what are you doing with a mic? You know, and I'm running around interviewing this one, that one, and guys are just like blown away. Like, what, what, what? Come on, this has got to be a joke. No, no, Fox and Friends, here we are. And I interview Tracy Morgan. I interview this one, that one, and then we go over it the next day. So, um, so my hours were kind of like Dracula. I'm out at night till two, three in the morning chasing people. Then I have to be back up at six to go over the segment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously, I always understood the the uh, the planning of flying and and you know booking things in advance. And you know, back in the day, you'd be able to have two tickets depending on who won or who lost, mm-hmm. and, and how to get there and when to get there and when to get out. So I always had that. That's like in the back. I could do that in my sleep now. You know, it's this year the Super Bowl is in L.A. So, uh, you know, uh, I'll get out there probably like that Wednesday, and then I'll probably leave either Monday or Tuesday. I may stay an extra day just to not fight all the fanfare. But you know, from L.A. to New York, there's always a flight. Right. And it's like on the hour, and even if I want to take a red eye, you know, depending. Uh, I ain't got that far down the line yet, but uh, I'll, I'll start talking. I always take a look See, at it like in October. So you have the luxury of direct flights. When you're in Pittsburgh, there's not many, too many direct flights that you can get to. So it limits on your options. So if yeah. I don't go to the game, if I'm in, uh, at the Super Bowl, I generally try to leave before the game so I'm home watching it so I can avoid some of that airport travel. I just When I see the stories the next morning on Monday and talking about – how long security lines are. I'm like, you want to know, I'm glad I left the day before. That's why I asked you that question to see if you mastered the traveling. No, I, uh, I'll tell you the Super Bowl, uh, was it, uh, in Minneapolis a couple years ago, I believe it was, uh, New England and Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Corrected. Yes. And, uh, I would have stayed if Jacksonville had won because oh, Doug, yeah. Doug Marone was a, a, a very close friend of mine. We know each other since uh, college days. But once the, uh, he lost, uh, you know, I left. I didn't stay. I stayed. Uh, I left. Uh, I did Fox and Friends that Sunday morning, and then I left. I flew home, and I watched the game on TV. Yeah. I was happy to be home, and, you know, not uh, – Minneapolis was a cold week, so I was happy – not that New York was the Bahamas or anything, but – I wanted to at least be in my own house and watch the game on TV, which I had no problem doing. So absolutely. Um, so the end of this segment, uh, even though we uh, we already did it, so to speak, I kind of hand the mic over to you and I let you ask me a question. Even though, <laughs> even though you just gave me one, but uh, it's all good. We're just talking it, uh, back and forth. Yeah. I see the jerseys on the back of the wall. You talked about some of the uh, players throughout this interview, but. Over your years, you had a chance to learn and, and meet a lot of great people. I need one. I'm putting you on the spot. Give me one of your favorite players of all time and why. Well, I have that's a that is a tough question, and I have several of them. I know that's why I said one. <laughs> <laughs> you really got me, but uh I'm gonna be totally upfront and honest with you. The guy that I really, really learned uh a lot from. Even though um, I had relationships with so many other guys, and 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 you know, obviously my relationship with Neil and whatnot was Ronnie Lott. Ronnie came to New York, and uh, he was introduced to me by I don't remember who it was, but he taught me how to be a businessman. You know, I'm not I make mistakes, but. I learned from him how to not only take his business from the football field, but to off the field. 
And what I mean by, and I, and I make people laugh when I tell the story, I was with him in Columbia, Missouri, and we were for a business deal. Mm -hmm. And we had about an hour drive each way. And that was the old, uh, remember the old silver Motorola phones they would flip and <laughs> yeah. the batteries and all that? Well, Ronnie had two of those. And in his bag, he had about 12 batteries. And I'm scratching my head going, man, why has this guy got so many batteries? Well, I think me and him said two words to each other, the whole drive there, because he was on the phone the whole time. This guy, this guy, and I mean, like, names that, you know, people would be like, whoa. Right. And uh, and then we went and took care of business. Then he said to me, he goes, hey, Big Daddy, do me a favor. He goes, we really got a boogie. And I go, what does it really mean? What do you mean we really got a boogie? Like, I have to catch this flight to D.C. because I'm meeting with Gene Upshaw, and I cannot miss this flight. It is important. I'm like, so what you're telling me is I got to drive like an ambulance driver, right? He's like, whatever it is that it takes to get done, to get it done, get it done. Right. So I'm in this rental car, and when I tell you it's a two-lane <laughs> highway from Columbia, Missouri to the airport, I'm driving, I'm doing at least 100, minimum, and I'm flashing everybody to get out of the way. <laughs> it was like, who is this maniac? I, I can imagine. So Ronnie says to me in a joking manner, he goes, listen, you know when you do over 100, we'll probably get pulled over and you'll probably get arrested. He goes, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm like, what's okay about me getting arrested? I'll convince the cop to take me the rest of the way. And, you know, you just bail yourself out and tell me what it costs. I'm like, great. I, I got to catch a flight home too. Right. So let's worry about my flight. Then we'll worry about you. He's not even. He's not even going to stick around for your bail. Like, exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, Ronnie. So I'm like, dr we get to the airport, and I'm saying to myself, and this is before 9/11, so it was kind of like, you know, the old way. You just walk in, right. walk in security, and boom. Well, I get him there, and as we're pulling up to the airport, he's like. This is a rental, right? I go, well, of course. I, you know, I didn't drive from New York. He goes, well, how are you going to get it? He goes, how are you going to get the car back to the rental and catch your flight? <laughs> I go, okay, here's the tip of the day he gave me. Go to the – pull up in front of your terminal, grab one of those baggage claim guys, and flip them off money and, and have them bring the car back. Oh, yeah. So I pull right up. Hey, come here, man. He goes, you got bags? I go, nah, here's 25 bucks. Just bring this back. He goes, what about the receipt? Oh, they'll mail it to me. Don't worry about it. Boom, I caught my flight and I was out of there. So, See, there it is. It's better than leaving the car and they tow it, and then you have to pay the towage fees and exactly. all of that. So at least he he knew that he he, uh, he actually uh, found a way to make it happen. So I'm, I, I may need that if I ever run into a bind there. Yeah, that's uh, I've used that actually three times I've done that, mm. where I'm, I'm like running last minute and – Listen, you know, these baggage guys, they're only getting one, two, three dollars. You give the guy twenty, forty dollars, they they'll drop everything and they'll bring it back because they just gotta get on a bus to get back to the front where they were at. Exactly. Yep. So that was uh a valuable lesson I learned and uh and I learned about him, you know, with business and communicating and and how he networked. I mean, you know, he's the best of the best and you know, he's got a trophy named after him now. So he's obviously done something right and he's still doing it. You know? And he's a, he, and he's a great person. And I echo everything that you said. He's been a great supporter of myself and best of the batch foundation. So I thank him for that. And we met actually through 
a mentor of mine by the name of Bill Campbell, um, who was, you know, did a lot of big things known as coach in Silicon Valley. Um, he connected us and we stayed in contact over the years, even though we lost our uh, lost bill uh, in 2016. Uh, we still remain close. And, and I just thank Ronnie for all of the support that he has given me along with our foundation as well. And I, I consider him a friend and I thank him for that. Yeah, no, he is the best of the best. So um, and here at Big Daddy and Friends, we try to bring the best of the best. So we brought you on. And I, I have to say thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And. Let the fans know where to find you. Social media. Social media. You can on uh, Facebook. I'm just Charlie Batch. Charlie Batch 16 on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, and then you can also follow me on LinkedIn. And if you forget all of that, it's charliebatch.com. <laughs> that makes it <laughs> So, uh, again, Charlie, thank you so much. And we'll be connecting soon in Pittsburgh. I'll hit you up and uh, and we'll take it from there. So, For all you viewers and listeners of Big Daddy and Friends, until next time, we'll see you guys soon, and uh, go Steelers, go. 